Welcome to the Story Connect podcast with Will and Acassis, Timur Gray, and Bilati Asapuno. Propaganda. It's a thing we encounter every day. It ranges from TV shows, movies, videos, pictures, the news. It's everywhere. It changes how we tell stories, how we perceive reality. From the American military's propaganda in video games and movies, to the Soviet Union's propaganda in children and adults. And finally, the U.S.'s propaganda against black people through the war on drugs. It seeped into everyday life, both historical and modern, both domestic and foreign. Call of Duty is a first-person shooter game released October 23rd, 2003, and it was received with great respect by the Department of Justice and the gaming community. Now, the Department of Justice liked it because it was because of its pro-military message. Um, they liked it because of how little it criticized the things that the U.S. military has done, both during World War II and the time when the game takes place, and currently. The franchise has never, ever, ever criticized the U.S. military, despite its heavy involvement with the U.S. military. And this goes into a larger relationship that the video game industry has with the, the U.S. military, where the U.S. military is always going to be the hero, the pro, the, the thing you're supposed to be rooting for, the people you're supposed to be rooting for. And they are never going to, and they're never criticized for the things that they do, such as the nuclear bombings uh, in World War II of Japan, or the bombings in the Middle East. They are not criticized, they are not brought up, it is simply ignored, or it is seen as something that needed to be needed to happen, quote unquote. And this also goes into something that the military wanted to do, which is to develop video games in order to train um, new trainees, new new applicants, as a like safer way to do it. And, and this relationship not only stems from video games, but also movies, and most notably in the Transformers series, where the Autobots are very, very heavily involved with the U.S. military. You have two of arguably main characters who are U.S. military soldiers, and they, they are heroes who are supposed to root for them, despite destruction and the lies that they tell. In the movies, Transformers are very much not a secret. They they fight over cities, they blow up things right over cities, they are very loud, they are very present, but the military and the government lies to the like public about it despite the amount of evidence there is for the existence of these alien robots. And and anybody who does try to expose this is seen as crazy. Despite the fact that there are there's solid evidence, there's solid proof, they people have dug up liter not even dug up have had transformer bits and pieces from ships just land in their backyard, land in cities, land in parking lots, and yet they pull some like something out of 1984. Do not trust your eyes. Do not trust your ears. Despite these things being sold and gifted and just in the public market just like that and in one of the movies i don't remember which one the u.s military teams up with the autobots and the british military to hunt down any transformer who's gone rogue 
So anybody who is not an outright Autobot is hunted and killed. No trial, no no trial to preservation of life, no jailing. If they do not go 100% peacefully, which they are not attempting, no Autobot, no military person is attempting to do, they are taken in and killed, just killed on the spot, just like that. And that's not seen as a bad thing. That is in fact glossed over. So this kind of war tactic of seeing everything they do as simply positive is a symptomatic of this pro-military, the military can only do good, especially when you find out about like the Department of Justice lending the, the actors, the director, Michael Bay, um, like military bases, military uniforms, 600 actual military personnel. So anybody in a military uniform you see in the background probably actually does work in the military. And this kind of uh, close relationship doesn't only go for movies, but the entertainment industry as a whole. And it isn't done only in the US. Going more into our next topic, um, we will see how propaganda correlates with the TV's industry corruption. In 1945, World War II was officially ended with Germany surrendering. Soon after that, the Soviet Union took a page out of Germany's book. While Hitler used propaganda to come to power, the Soviet leadership used propaganda to stay in power. The main way that propaganda was spread in the Soviet Union was through television. The Soviet Union did this by taking over all of the broadcasting. There were only two channels, one being controlled by the Soviet Union itself in Moscow, and one run by the relative autonomous republic such as Minsk or Kiev. Through these TV stations, they played multiple TV shows, almost all of them talking about how bad life was in America. One of the many examples that proved this was the Soviet documentary against the Marshall Plan. The Marshall Plan was a plan for the United States to give about $12 million, the equivalent of $18 billion today, to Western European countries to help them recover after World War II. The introduction said something along the lines of the Soviet Union being the most powerful country whilst praising Lenin at the same time. This showed that the Soviet Union treated all other countries in a condescending manner and encouraged all of their citizens to also do so. The propaganda of the Soviet Union did not just stop at adults, though. If you were entering school, you were expected to join the pioneers. Their job was to show blind faith towards the Republic, along with collecting scrap metal which the government melted. In 8th grade, you were expected to transition into the Komsomol, which was very similar but for older children. And while it was not necessary for children to join, the schools and the government highly encouraged it, and their families were shunned if they declined. Propaganda was also spread throughout the Soviet Union in the essence of the makeup of the economy. According to the government, the USSR was a communist government, which meant that the means of production and the means of consumption were both controlled by the government meaning that citizens could not own property or own companies to produce goods. In reality, people who had connections to the government did manage to own these things, such as houses. On December 5, 1969, President Richard Nixon gave Stephen Hess, a national chairman of the White House Conference for Children and Youth, the task of finding out what was on the mind of younger Americans when it came to global and domestic affairs. Among one of his concerns 
with the use of drugs. The task force that focused on drugs, composed of eight youths and four adults, fiercely argued for addressing the root causes of drug abuse and advocating remedy for drug addicts and preference to incarceration. With only so much fun federal funding to go around, simply three months after the youth conference went, Nixon launched a full-on drug war that framed drug users not as hostile and isolated youths who Dixon was caused by living within a fundamentally unjust society, but as criminals attacking the moral compass of the nation, people who deserved incarceration and punishment alone. Nixon further expanded on this idea, privileging from the made-up made up view <laughs> my bad, um, that drug users were criminals and that decreasing social welfare funding would therefore attack the root causes of drug abuse. Public manipulation all started when American youth saw announcements on television or talked to by parents and teachers and saw individuals personally affected by substance abuse. Drug information was also presented through racial discrimination. The propaganda used on the war on drugs was used in a particular way to criminalize African Americans. The distortion of information also further teased more racial stereotypes. These harmful tactics of the federal government were malicious favoring of causing the delusion of the general public for their own benefit. This fabricated idea helped contribute to the increased division between the drug prevention and drug enforcement spending as well. This division has become a main problem of our own modern war on drugs. The effect that the war on drugs has on American society, ideals, and cults today still proves to be apparent with drugs still being a heated discussion in the country. This event is an example of propaganda in the form of government manipulation. It shows how propaganda can have a lasting effect on the particular view of minorities and the different demographics that lie within them. While all of these orchestrated events were spread out throughout different time periods and different places, they do have two main aspects into trying them all. And to start off, one common thing that all of these stories share is that all of them were fairly recent. All of these stories happened during the mid to late 1900s, viewing into the early 2000s, which shows how propaganda is an idea that can start any civilization during any time, whenever there is an influential group with some sort of malicious agenda, which leads into our other aspect that these stories have in common. The source of conflict usually originating from some sort of influential group. Propaganda in its current form only started becoming popular in World War II when Hitler used the Reichstag fire to come to power. This shows that all of these attempts at propaganda were orchestrated by the government. All of these were created by their respective governments, and in most cases the government even benefited from it. So if you take nothing else from this podcast, take the fact that propaganda is current, propaganda is real, and propaganda can be directed at anyone. Always exercise your voice and use your independent thinking. This is Propaganda in Our Stories, written by Timor Gray, Will Anacassis, and Bilati Asaputo.